Welcome to the Testimony Service Podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with the scripture. Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray that you may understand more clearly. Then you will know the hope God has chosen you to receive. You will know that what God will give his holy people is rich and glorious. And you will know God's great power. It can't be compared with anything else. His power works for us who believe. And now for episode 25, Antagonistic Faith. So my name is Tim Swain, and I am from the great country of Texas, little bit of city called Houston, Texas, Missouri City, to be exact. I grew up in a, I would say, a half-Christian home. My mother was a believer. My father wasn't. And growing up, I always had this understanding that God existed, but I didn't necessarily know who he was. And so what I didn't understand at that time is that God was really setting the framework for really what was or what is my life's mission and vision. And so growing up, you know what I'm saying, having, like I said, a half Christian home, I saw my mother who was very religious, took us to church all the time. I grew up in the Church of God in Christ, also known as the Holiness Church. And so there was a lot of charismatic expression, worship and all that, but I didn't really know what was going on. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, when I would go home, I didn't necessarily see that Christianity lived out in a way that I thought was practical at the time. We, for the most part, was broke. So my father being abusive to my moms on several occasions. So my father engaged in alcoholism. And I was one of five children. I had two older brothers and two younger sisters, um, all by the same mother and father, except my brother, who was from uh, another father. But like it, it, it was just something about like this whole Christianity life that didn't sit well with me. And so around the age of 14, my parents were divorced and I stayed with my father. And it was around this time, I think some of my more kind of deeper spiritual questions started forming, particularly because I was getting to this place in my life where I was really trying to understand my blackness as a young boy who was born in the 80s, growing up in the 90s, seeing a lot of things about myself, but I didn't know how to answer these questions about what it meant to be black. And I would go to church and I never heard anybody talking about this. In fact, I didn't really see too many models of what I thought were good models of black masculinity and Christianity. For the most part, growing up in church, I saw old, fat, black men who were very passive, who were not in leadership roles, except if they were in the pulpit. And so I was like, yo, like, what does it mean to be a young black Christian? And I remember reading books. One of them in particular was the autobiography of Malcolm X, and that transformed my life. And that was also a part that kind of had me thinking about things a little bit deeper in terms of, I mean, I didn't know it was theology, but I mean, that's what it is, right? My understanding of God and my study of God, because I, on one hand, I'm seeing this version of Christianity that's passive, that's seemingly uneducated, that is very religious, not practical, not tied to anything real. I read this book by Malcolm X, 
He's very deeply affirmed in his blackness. He's standing up against the system. He's involved in political, economic, and social revolution and instigating resolutions in black communities. So I'm now like, yo, who is this God? So eventually I moved out of my house, went to the military for a very short amount of time, about six months, came back because I realized I didn't want to do this. Like the realities that I saw in the military were very different than the realities that I thought I was going to get. Um, I was just trying to escape some of the kind of institutional systems that I saw. And I thought that going to the military would be a way to, to get out of that. But when I was in the military, I didn't realize that God was really planting seeds all of my life. Like, so for my mother, planting the seeds as a young boy. And when my parents got back together for a very short amount of time, I had a brother that passed away. That was an extreme catalyst in my life that happened around the age of 14. So that deeply had me questioning life. Then when I fast forward, like I said, back to the military, I remember being deeply religious because <laughs> in boot camp, it was like, all I got is God. <laughs> I need God to bring me through this, right? The United States Marine Corps boot camp was no joke. So I needed God to really bring me through this. But I remember the day that I got out of boot camp, I turned all the way up, like all the way up. I'm talking about drinking, pornography, masturbation. You know, I'm just trying to find anything to have sex with. It didn't really matter. And it had me questioning once again, like, what is the practicality of this whole faith that I have? And it just wasn't really real. So I kind of knew of God, but I didn't really know him personally. And so I moved back home with my father. But by this time, my father had become a believer. And I saw things in him changing. And so I knew that he believed in God because I saw some real changes in his life. No more alcohol. His temper was very different. The way that he spoke, the way he responded. So I was like, yo, something is happening or has happened to him. I don't quite know what it is. So I did the best thing that I knew I could do to kind of re-engage my search for who God is. I went back to church. Uh, but unfortunately, it was the same structure, right? It was a lot of charismatic teaching, a lot of, you know what I'm saying, didactic lessons, but it was no real substantive answers for the basic questions that I had about what it meant to be a black man in America, what it meant to be a person who thinks he wants to serve the world and do this and do that, but where's the space for me to engage those questions? And so by this time, I had sworn off religion, so to speak, and I got to college and I kind of declared myself to be agnostic. I know God exists, but I don't really know who he is. And so I said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to turn up. And I remember my freshman year in college, and I, I tell this story so I may cry a little bit because I remember always praying that, God, I never want to forget what it felt like to be in that place. So like my freshman year of college, I remember being deeply, deeply, deeply confused. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I had something inside of me that yearned for more but I didn't quite know how to express it. So I remember going to college and I remember just turning up, man, you know, drinking. I didn't smoke, but I was drinking and stuff like that. Just doing ratchet stuff, man, around people, uh, doing ratchet stuff, doing drugs, going to strip clubs, you know, just, just turning up. And uh, it felt good. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna act like it didn't feel good. It felt good. But there was still like this piece of me that was like, hey, you know I'm here, right? You know there's more to this. But because I couldn't make meaning of this, I got into a place where I was absolutely frustrated. 
And I hated Christians because to me, Christianity was synonymous with stupid, ignorant, apathetic people who were disengaged with the world and who were just religious. And so if I saw Christians on campus, I would antagonize them. They would invite me to a Bible study and I would start asking them some of these like theological questions. Well, who is your God? What does he have to say about what it means to be gay? Or what does it mean about the people starving in another country and blah, 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 blah. I didn't know it. But God was really setting the stage to transform my life. And so this is kind of like the catalyst of how everything came to the climax, right? As it were in the movie. I woke up one morning, I was hungover from the night before. And I remember going to a Taco Bell because that's just where you went, man. And, you know, it was cheap. <laughs> Go to Taco Bell, get you about eight tacos for a quarter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So then get a drink. You know, all you can drink for about 15 cents. And so I went there and I remember seeing this lady and she looked like she had came from church. So I walked up to her. I said, yo, what church do you go to? She rolled down the address and this is dating me. Okay. This is before we had GPSs on our phones. <laughs> and so I went to MapQuest. <laughs> so I looked it up on MapQuest and if you ever use MapQuest, you know, you got to print that joint out. You know what I mean? Before we had smartphones. So I printed that joint out and I tried to find a church. And I remember thinking to myself, yo, if it's a black church, they're going to be there all day. And so I remember waking up late. And as I was walking into the church around like 1.30, 2 o'clock, there were two people walking out. One was the quote unquote church mother. If you don't know what a church mother is, like, the, you know, like a woman in the church that's supposed to be like the mother, the teacher, like of the women. And then there was the musician. His name was Tim. And I remember him asking me, where are you from? And I told him, hey, man, I'm from Houston. I'm here in school. I was going to Texas State University at that time in San Marcos, Texas. I told him my name. He knew some of my people who were preachers and stuff like that in a little bitty city called Waco, blah, 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 blah. And he took me out to eat. So if you want to convert people, let me tell you something. Take them out to eat, especially if they broke college students. So he took me out to eat. And I remember as we sat down and ate, one of the things he told me, I never forget, this was over 16 years ago. He said... I know you think you came here for college, but God wants to do something in your life. And at that time, I was like, ah, oh, fool, man, get out of here with that. And over the next couple years, God was working tremendously in my life. I went through probably one of the darkest periods of depression that I had ever been through in my entire life. I mean, it was just this cycle of sin that I was in. In terms of like everything, man, I was self-mutilating. I was cutting myself. And the cycle was usually this. I was striving to do righteousness, but I would fall into maybe sexual sin. Then I cut myself. And then I feel bad, feel less bad, do it again. And then, you know, repeat that cycle. And I remember throughout this time going back to church, but could not stand it. Because remember, the church that I grew up in kind of put a really sour taste in my mouth. And for whatever reason, I found myself in that exact same kind of church when I was in college. A small Pentecostal fire hell and brimstones Pentecostal church of God in Christ. I'm talking about it was so small on a good Sunday, maybe about 30, 40 people. The restrooms was at the front of the church. You had to walk from the back of the church to the front of the church. Just go to the restroom small. And I remember saying, I hate this place. But the only reason I kept going back was because of that guy. That guy that I met, who later became what I deem as a spiritual father, this man took the time to answer the deep 
questions that I had about life. He would go around doing music ministry all day long, come back to this little bitty church, play for the church, stay after the church to about maybe one, sometimes two o'clock in the morning, and just answering questions that I had. What about this? What about that? What does God say about this? What does God say about that? The guy would call me up out of the blue sometimes. I would ignore his phone call because I was trying to go to the club and stuff like this. But all throughout this time, what I thought I needed was like this kind of like revolutionary kind of black leadership. But I didn't really know it. But the main thing I really needed in my life was love. That was the primary thing that God used to transform my life. And even as I say this, I get teary-eyed because I think about how that guy just showed me love. That was it. He just showed me love over and over and over and over and over again. And he had this joy about him. And at this time of my life, remember, I'm depressed. I'm a student leader in a couple organizations on campus, but I would go home and I was too young to buy alcohol. So I would get somebody to buy alcohol for me and I would drink raspberry vodka <laughs> and I would drink it and watch the Dave Chappelle show and be frustrated, punching the walls, battling all kinds of demons. But I would keep going to church every now and again, just because of this guy that had something that I wanted. And I remember asking him one time, like, what is it that you have, man, that gives you so much joy? And he was like, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. And I was like, oh, here we go again with this old white man's religion, this, you know, this farce. And I remember this was about a two-year process after meeting him. And then one Sunday, literally, it was like out of a movie, I remember being very, very tired. I mean, I had read books. I said, I'm going to create my own religion because I can't figure anything out. I had read motivational books. I was reading a little bit of Islam, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But I was still in this place where there was a tremendous void in my life. And I remember one Sunday, it was January of 2006. It was in the week of consecration. That's what we had in the Church of God in Christ. It's called the week of consecration. It's supposed to be the first week you separate yourself unto the Lord, blah, blah, blah. I remember being in this church first Sunday. And there was a short preacher that was preaching. And the reason I remember him being short, because I'm also short, and that was one of my senses of insecurities back then, right? Among many other things, innumerable insecurities. And I remember him preaching. Don't know everything that he said, but it was like he was directly speaking to my heart. And I remember trying to fight back the tears. And I didn't quite know what was going on on the inside at that time. But now I recognize the Holy Spirit working in my life. So my eyes are filling up with tears. I can't control them anymore. I don't know what's going on. I, and I remember praying, God, if you're real, show me who you are. I don't care who you are. And at the end of his sermon, he called us up. And I remember looking at this man in his eyes, saying to God, God, if you are real, who are you? Show me who you are. And I remember saying, God, how can I trust this man? What if he's a pimp? What if he's somebody out here scheming with women and stuff like that? And this man, through the supernatural power of God, said, son, you are thinking about A, B, and C. And it was exactly what I was thinking about. So now I'm freaked out. And then I remember him telling me, when I pray for you, I want you to know that it's not about me, but about the power of God. And he says, do you want to know Jesus? And my response was, why not? I done tried everything else. And he lifted his hand and he's prepared to 
put his hand on top of my head. Literally, I fell out to my knees. And the only thing that came out of my mouth was, thank you, Jesus. And I was on the floor for about 30 minutes. And the only thing I remember about that time was that brother that was now my, my spiritual father getting off that, that organ because he was a musician, coming over, praying with me. And literally, literally, when I tell you, that was the moment that my life transformed forever. I got up from that floor and I was literally a new person. The burden that I had was lifted. Since then, yes, I've had some ups and downs and stuff like that, but literally that was the definitive moment that God came in and supernaturally put his hand down to lift me up and to let me know that I've heard you. Your tears have not been in vain. I've seen what you have been going through and yes, I am real. And I want to show you what it means to be in relationship with me. That's how I came to the Lord. I love it, Tim. Thank you so much, man. So like when you were in your searching phase, you said you're reading a bunch of books and like looking at Islam and stuff. Um, did you ever look into like the black Hebrew Israelite? Did you ever go down that road? I never did because keep in mind at this time, I'm dating myself once again. We didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my research, it wasn't really research, to be honest with you. It was listening to rap songs mm-hmm. and going to the library and going to the Internet and picking up just bits and pieces here and there. So I never even heard of the Israelites, never even heard of the five percenters, never even heard of most of these ethnocentric religions that exist. That they've been existing, but that we're more uh, familiar with now mm-hmm. because, I mean, I didn't really do much diligent research, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because it seems like that was the path you were, that you would have went down if it was more readily available. Are you in ministry now? Yeah. So so really, the interesting thing about it is this, like all those frustrations that I had, particularly around, in my opinion, the church's failure to address and esteem and affirm black identity is what I do. So I have a nonprofit mm-hmm. organization where we mobilize people of African descent uh, back and forth to Africa, particularly in Ghana. So I live in Ghana. And I organize all of the logistics of our international trips. And our whole goal is to create intersections of theology and culture to do three main things. Number one, help educate people about who God has created them to be. Number two, give them alternative narratives about what the scriptures really say, because we really don't know. And I'm also in school studying theology. And then the last thing is to really help people uh, move from being apologists from being black to be affirmed to being black so that they can take their place in the world and understand that, okay, yes, God has something to say about my ethnicity. And when you look at scripture, right, this is really a story that is composed of people from all around the world. And it is not a narrative that suggests that this is a white man's religion or whatever. And so it's interesting because now those things like the same frustrations I had or the problems I believe God has put me here to solve, to speak to the younger Tim Swains to say, hey, fam, I feel you. Let me give you some biblical evidence that shows you that you're not far off with the questions that you have and the affirmation that you're seeking. And, it's a, and you're not the first one and there's answers for it. Yeah, that's a dope. I love that you're doing that. I recently just started taking this course online 
it's kind of like apologetics, but like from like a black perspective and it's talking about like the black people in the Bible and like African-American like church history and stuff like that. It is crazy. Like growing up in a charismatic church, like you don't hear any of this stuff. And it's like, it sh- I feel like it should be more readily available, like not something that you have to go way out of your way to seek out. So I really love what you're doing. That's dope. For real. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The, 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 the one thing I'll say real quick about that is learning my African history gave me context. Like the first time I went to Africa was in 2007 and coming from a charismatic church, like that was seen as like the, the slave religion and stuff like this. Right. But when I went to Africa and I saw these same expressions of charismatic worship, it was like, oh, fam, this is where it come from. Mm-hmm. And so then it was a deeper appreciation for this history and then when I began to even read about the history of the Church of God in Christ and Mason and, and his earlier times, like one of his things was to bring this African-centered style of praise and worship into the church, as well as him being involved or the church being involved in political movements to help deal with some of the issues of the time for black people. Then it was like, oh, fam, these were the answers I was looking for. But as you said, what nobody talking about this? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, someone's got to do it. So <laughs> you sound like you're the right man for the job. You've been there and now you're, uh, I'm sure you're still learning, but uh, miles ahead of other people who are still questioning. So, man, that's exciting for real. Because you never hear, you never hear about it. It's crazy. It makes no sense. <laughs> you, ne- you, ne- you never hear, it doesn't make sense. You never hear about it. Or if you hear about what it means to be an affirmed black person, it is from the perspective where the narrative is centered in blackness and not God. Well, it is mm-hmm. centered in Godness, but like not in terms of the totality of God. It's more like you black, you God, that's where it starts and ends, but like not in relationship to other people. And so it's like, yo fam, how come we ain't talking about, well, I got to, I ain't going to talk about why we ain't talking about it. Cause that'll go to, that's a whole nother <laughs> biblical conversation about our institutions that are yeah. mostly Eurocentric and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we ain't going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, when you were talking about when you were like in that really dark period of your life where you would like fall into sin and then you were like cutting yourself, trying to be in control and just like repeating that over and over again. Since you found Christ, how has the way that you deal with like falling and like getting back up? Like, what does that cycle look like now? Cause I mean, I don't know, you know, we still fall down, but like, how does that look for you now? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. And for me, the the major difference is my relationship to God has changed tremendously. And there's a phenomenal book. I don't get no money for this, but I tell everybody I can about it. It's It's called Changes That Heal by Dr. Henry Cloud. And one of the things he talks about is this concept of truth and grace. And he basically says, right, truth is like the hard part of like, yes, if you sin, these are the consequences. Grace is, but Jesus came and died for that. And he says that if you got too much grace, then it's going to mess you up. If you got too much truth, it's going to mess you up. And so my understanding of God has evolved because my understanding of myself has evolved. Like I know like the impact of growing up in a house where I've seen abuse, where there's been more truth than grace and how I interpreted God to be because of these human relationships I've had. Right. So even in growing up in the church, right, the theology was if you do bad, God is going to get you. So you better not do bad. Otherwise, God is going to get you. So even before I came to the Lord, that kind of idea was there. But then when I came to know the Lord, 
that idea was carried over into my relationship. So even initially, after becoming a believer, I didn't cut myself no more, but it was this deep cycle of like kind of depression of like anytime I sin sexually or cut somebody out or something like that. But as I evolved in terms of really understanding who God is and what grace is, then my relationship moved from God, I don't want to mess up because you're going to get me to God. I just want to honor you because you're God. Like you first love me. That's why I want to love you. Not because you finna beat me over the head because I messed up. And when that transitioned, like they really got to a place where I can live more freely, not freely in sin, but like, <laughs> and like now I can do what I want to do. No, it's like, <laughs> then I began to live more freely in just the decisions that I made. Right. I wasn't worried about God. If I, if I don't do this, is that going to be wrong? Is that going to be right? It's more like God, this is the decision that I'm making based off your word. I'm moving in faith and I trust you right with the results. And, and so, and last thing is my, my focus really moved away from like sinning and messing up to like, let, let me just continually strive to honor the Lord in my daily life and keep the cross in front of me and knowing that this is why he died so that I don't focus so much on sin that I miss the message of the cross. Right. So how long have you been in Africa now living there? I've been living here a short amount of time, only for okay. about six, seven months. Okay. Do you have a regular church that you attend out there? Well, well I guess, not, not well, since COVID. Right, duh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, COVID, COVID. Well, but, but prior to COVID, we were looking at a couple churches. But then once COVID happened, it just it shut everything down. Yeah. What kind of church were you in last when you lived in the States? Like, was it charismatic was in, or what, what was it? It was a non-denominational church, but it had its roots in Baptist. Okay. So what I was going to ask is, like, what's the biggest difference that you see in, like, church here in the States and then church, like, where you are now? If you can't answer it. I know you've only been there six months and the world's gone crazy, but. I just had a two and a half hour conversation with a good friend who's actually in the U.S. who's Ghanaian about this. How do I say this? I think so. So some of the great things are like, I think the differences that I see is there is for me a higher level of piety and appreciation for God, because you have so many people in Africa that come from a primal worldview or what some have deemed to be like traditional African, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it's just this, this view that like in America, everything has boxes, right? Like my spirituality, my, my public life and all this. But in Africa, everything is communal. And there is no division between, for example, like humanity and nature or humanity and the afterlife. And so there's a deeper appreciation for like spirits and all that. And so when you're talking about the Holy Spirit and you're talking about the power of God, healing and all that, like that's readily accepted. Some of the challenges are because we're dealing with institutions and I'm going to talk particularly about the black church in America because that's primarily my context of formation and the church in Ghana is a lot of it still has roots that were formed in colonization and white supremacy. So for example, there's a saying here in Ghana that if you're on your way to church and you see a white man or you see Obruni, right? Then you've seen God. So you can go home. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so, so, so there's still some sense of heavy focus on like evangelism and mission work 
and not necessarily kingdom perspective that focuses on total development of not just my mind, my body, my soul, my environment, stewardship, and all of that. And so there's a high level of like religiosity and piety focus, but unfortunately, sometimes there's not enough focus on, okay, so what do we do with this practically? About 70% of uh, people here in Ghana are Christians, but a significant formation of their Christian theology came from European missionaries who had understandings about Africa, right? It was the dark continent and these Mm -hmm. people had to be civilized and which meant that you have to be more Eurocentric. And so, you know, going to church sometimes is, it's a lot of similarity between the black church, right? So dressing up, right? In your best clothes. And it may not be necessarily traditional West African attire. It may be European attire, a suit and a tie. So there's a lot of similarities. The difference is, I think, like you do get to experience a lot more of that integration of like those African type of traditional beliefs. And that doesn't mean like it's anti-God or anti-Christ for people who may be listening. It just means that their traditional beliefs integrated with, you know, their Christian faith. That's what's up. How can our listeners find your organization? Do you have a website or are you on social media? They can check out what you're doing, maybe um, support it or partner with you by praying or whatever that may look like. Yeah, so the, the social media is, um, I'll spell it out, is Enidaso, which means hope. It's A-N-I-D-A-S-O-360.com. All my social media is just Mr. Tim Swain, Mr. T-I-M-S-W-A-I-N. Either way, you'll get to organization, learn more about what we're doing and how we're trying to serve communities globally. That's awesome. Well, um, before you go, is there any final thoughts or words of encouragement that you want to leave with us today? Yeah, I just want to thank you because I think this platform is, is demonstrative of what happens when people with different gifts realize that they can make a difference in their own avenues, right? Somebody who says, I just want, I want to record people's testimonies and broadcast it to the world. Well, you doing that, I think, um, encourages me because what it shows is we are many members but one body and there's such a diversity of gifts. And so the encouraging message is whatever God has given you a passion to do, there's room for it in the kingdom. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is, there's room for your gift in the kingdom. In fact, there are a multitude of people that are waiting on you right now to simply live in that calling. They're waiting on you because they're asking, where are the, and you are the person you can fill in the blank. You are the answer to a lot of people's prayers. And so I just want to encourage people to know that whatever frustrates you, it's usually a problem that God has put you here to solve. And as the saints used to say in my old school church, you got in Christ, the blood still works. I mean, like, <laughs> like, like literally, the love of God is the most revolutionary power on this earth. And it transformed my life. And if you're listening to this and you got some questions, yo. 100% facts that God God got some answers for you. Facts. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. We will be back next Wednesday. But in the meantime, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Testimony Service Pod. 
And as always, here is a sneak peek of next week's episode. I didn't know where to go. I'd searched online to look for counsellors. I'd researched um, how to overcome this because it was ruining my life. I basically did everything except for give it to God.